This week on Excelsior Journeys, I speak with accomplished artist Robert Mars. Robert and I met back in 2010 as part of a project that I had to do for my first class in grad school. And thankfully, we were able to keep in touch after all these years. And I've just watched him grow and grow and grow as, as an artist to the point where he is now for over 10 years now, been able to concentrate fully on art for a full-time work. And he has just gotten an exhibit over in Australia. We're going to be talking about that. We're also going to be talking about his whole history as art, as this uh, this amazing Americana style that he has, and what that means for himself and for the American dream. JLD, do the honors. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of the award-winning podcast, Entrepreneurs on Fire. And you're listening to the Excelsior Journeys with George Soroy. Prepare to ignite. So would you say that that's kind of like the lightning bolt moment for you? And that's you, why I moment? taught myself how to draw. It was actually the Little Mermaid. Drawing stills of Ariel. On. I've got better things to do tonight than so die. He jumped out of his chair and said, who the F is this? I remember walking out of the theater with him saying, I'm going to write Halloween. I'm rather sense. impressed with your research. Rarely do people ask me about children in the car. It doesn't have to too. be perfect. Just do it. You know, throw yeah. some spaghetti yeah. against the wall. See this if it is sticks. George Soroy saying to all of you, ever upward. Welcome back to Excelsior Journeys. This is George Soroy. Thank you so much for being here. And thank you so much for tuning in for over 100 episodes. Now, for those of you who uh, don't know me, back in 2010, I started grad school over at uh, Webster University here in St. Louis. Thankfully, they had an online program because I was still living in New York. And fortunately, I was living in New York because even though there's still a terrific artist um, community here in St. Louis, over New York, it's really just, it's the, the sky's the limit of, of what you can find here. And the first class that I took was a class called Artists Are Alive and Well. And it was a really fun, it was a really interesting class. And it was a really good time. I actually like was, it really definitely was a really good first class in when you're taking grad school. And the lat, the final project that we had was a really good one because we had to track down an artist in our area and sit down and interview them. And I was looking around for some different artists and I found a gentleman named Robert Mars. And I was really struck by his style. It's very much like when you go to Vegas and you see like the older signs, I think it's called like the neon boneyard. It's a really striking kind of style that I would love to have up in, in my home which is always a good sign when you see like a get in touch with an artist that you really connect with. So I reached out to him. I told him about my assignment and he was very willing to sit down. We, we sat down at a diner. I bought him some lunch, had my tape recorder on hand and we talked for, I want to say like about 20 minutes or so. And it was great. It was, it was a really, really good interview and it was a lot of fun. I still have it somewhere. So thankfully we kept in touch over the years off and on. And I am proud to say that he is here with us to talk about his latest exhibit and everything else that came before that. So it is my pleasure to introduce to you the artist, Robert Mars. Robert, how are you, sir? Good. How are you? 
I'm doing terrific. Thank you again so much for being here. This is, I'm really glad that we were able to keep in touch throughout the years. It's, it's been, it's been great. And seeing your, your different uh, posts on Instagram just reminds me of just like, I really do need to get some, some is already in my, in my home at some point. <laughs> so absolutely. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about the exhibit that you have going on right now, because uh, this is actually going to be posted out there on November 2nd. So from what I understand, the exhibit's still going on, correct? Yes. So the exhibit opened last Thursday and it's at Galati Galleries in Perth, Western Australia. Wow. And it's my first show, first solo exhibition in Australia. Nice. And uh, it was a couple of years in the making. Like I had talked to the gallery back in probably 2012 Mm -hmm. and he was interested in showing me at that point, but I really kind of felt like I didn't have the foreign exposure yet to Mm. have an exhibition. And uh, so we sort of put it off at that point and come two years ago, I guess, year and a half ago, we started speaking again. And he said, I'm really interested in what you're doing still. I would love to show your work. And it was a lot of back and forth, a lot of uh, talks and negotiations. But I felt like this was the right time to do it because over the past eight or nine years, I've really built up my foreign collector base. Mm-hmm. And uh, and just a great gallery. They really they really support their artists. They really collaborate with their artists. It's not I don't feel one sided at all. Right. And the exhibition seemed to be a success. So it runs through the month. Excellent, excellent. Now, were you able to go there before before everything started up? Because having it's it's quite a trip from from here to there. It's a long trip, right? It's about a day on the plane. I didn't go this time because I would have had to quarantine for two weeks after getting there. Oh, um, yeah. I just didn't have that time. So, but they had a virtual, they had a screen set up and we did a little Q&A. And so people got to kind of ask questions. And so it was really interesting. Oh, it's fabulous. And how is the, how's the reception been so far for it? It's been really good. I know that there were two sales on the first night and they're hoping for a couple more. They do a lot of promotion. They're really great at at all the PR parts of it. And I think I think it really shows when when you walk into a gallery and the people that work there just mm-hmm. love the work. I yeah. think that, that that's very telling. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's it, it's it's all about the passion. It's all about like what it is that you're that you're into and everything and and right. what it is that really really grabs you and you just want to you just want to make sure that the world knows about it. Like that's that was the yes. main reason why I started the show in the first place because I yeah. looked through my list of Facebook friends and I was like, "Wow, I have a lot of awesome creative friends and yeah. they need to be on a podcast. They need to let the world know who they are." And after a while it was like, "Okay, they need to be on my podcast." <laughs> so Yes. And then it and yeah. then it just went from there. So so with that in mind, I mean like it's when you say when you say that you're you don't really have like too much international exposure is a really just because of the style itself that you have because it's very like a, almost like a route 66 kind of kind right of, it's very american based yeah no it just as my career sort of progressed uh, there were more international buyers um interested in my work and i do have a few galleries of a gallery that i work with in london a couple of galleries internationally cologne germany mm-hmm. and so just over time there's people who people who respond to the work i think that there is a love for the American culture in the fifties and sixties that isn't just American, right? Like the whole world kind of views it as a really special time. Mm -hmm. And um, so I think that that, that sort of caught on overseas and it's people, I think people want to feel that nostalgic feel. Yeah. But with my work, I don't want it to seem old. Like I'm talking about 
how these faces and how these iconic people still kind of, they carry weight today in popular mm-hmm. culture. Yeah. And it's, and it's also great, like the way that you present them, because it, it is, it does give like a very kind of like a, a rusty kind of kind of feel to a lot of things. But at the same time, there's a life in there. Like there's in the eyes that you see there, it's just like, they're still looking at you after all these years. Yeah. yeah. I, I love that. Yeah. Um, and that's so basically the, the exhibition in, in Australia is called past is present, which is exactly the idea that the past is still here, right? There's mm-hmm. still many parts of it. And, and I don't think that that necessarily is true with like the seventies and eighties mm-hmm. so much. Yeah. And maybe that will come around, right? Cause things are cyclical. So, but I feel like if you look at like the cars that Dodge and, and the, the Mustang, you look at these cars, they are like looking back to the cars from the sixties, yeah. furniture design, right? Like people all love Herman Miller furniture. It's from mm-hmm. the fifties and sixties, a mid-century modern home. So I feel like this, this part, like there was something magical about that time that yeah. is just, it's still like is woven through our, through our society. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And so with, the, with that in mind, like going back to what I always like to call the lightning bolt moment, there's always that feeling of when you experience something or see something, feel it, hear it, whatever, that makes you just want to point in that direction and say, that's what I want to do. That is the kind of person I want to be. So right. with, with art, what was it like with you? I think with art, it's, it's kind of interesting because looking back to when I was a child, there were things that had an impression on me and it's like, you almost don't even know it. It just sort of like seeps into your subconscious. Mm -hmm. And when I started to make art in the late nineties, I was obviously like, when you, when you start, you're like, I'm going to make a million different things and see kind of what sticks. Mm -hmm. But what I really came back to was this part of Route 66, right? These neon mm-hmm. signs, so much of it reminded me of living in Los Angeles. Oh, um, yeah. And then, and then even thinking about like going on road trips as a kid and seeing that these were like landmarks. Yeah. And, and they were made by people who, who were craftsmen. These people like mm-hmm. really knew what they were doing. They had a great design sense. They were making these signs that were like, they were these monoliths. And so as I, so I guess it would have been, prior to me moving to Portland, but I started documenting a lot of what I was seeing in Los Angeles. And a lot of it was the neon. I think that's a really, that's a really important part of Los Angeles culture. Mm-hmm. And then moving up to Portland, it's up there as well. And yeah. so I was working for Adidas at the time and we were traveling all over the US. So I would always bring tons of cameras with me and I would document all the places I was traveling to, places like Albuquerque, New Mexico, nice. Chicago, place like this, that like part of that still exists. Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of like my aha moment. Like, I really want to document these because I see that I'll go back in six months later and it'll be torn down. Right. So I felt like it was important to document what was what was there before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So trying all these different styles, what when, what did it feel like when you came across like this one and you felt like this is it? This is this is exactly what I want to say. Like like what you were saying before that this is some this is a period that needs to be preserved in some way. So what was, what was that feeling when you find, when you felt like you finally kind of hit upon a style that you can work with? I I don't think it happened immediately. It was, it was sort of because my work is so process-based. Yeah. I would refine different parts of the process 
And a lot of it was looking at Robert Rauschenberg, who was really kind of like my hero and emulating him and seeing like how he layered things and how he used paint and how he used transfers and things like this. But I felt like I wanted a more refined style. Like I felt like Mm -hmm. he, he's much looser with what he does, but I really loved kind of the strong compositions that he was making. And so that's kind of the direction I went in. And then these, these, these signs and these old cars, like they sort of work themselves perfectly into like non-traditional landscapes. Yeah. And so it was easy to delineate the ground from the sky. And then how was I going to work with those? And Mm -hmm. so that's where all the collage came in. And I started almost making structures within the sky. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. And and having seen like a a lot of the, like a lot of the artwork and everything, it's just like, it, it's 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 got such an awesome feel to it like that i'm i'm really i was really taken by it i mean that's that goes without saying considering that that was it was that that re- that caused me to want to reach out to you and learn right. more about your style and learn more about what you do and so like so once you once you got that going once you felt like you had some like momentum what right. what was it like getting that first gas? Yeah, so i was living in portland at the time and i would travel, or I'm sorry, I would, I would go to all the galleries in Portland and they had a first Thursday, which was all the new exhibitions opening up. Nice. And there was one, one gallery in particular called Compound. Mm-hmm. And it was just the coolest space because first of all, the building was amazing, right? Yeah. It was beautiful architecture and it had two floors and the downstairs was everything from very rare Nike shoes mm-hmm. to like robots and, and Japanese toys, but not, not plastic toys. These were like really expensive metal robots. Yeah, and yeah. then the upstairs had like almost like a little library section with mm-hmm. magazines and, and books on design. And then it had a gallery space and I just loved it. And I loved their mission. Yeah, And so I started helping doing all their flyers and just working with them on a graphic design level mm-hmm. and then approached them when I had um, a body of work and said, I don't know if you're into it, but I really feel like this is perfect for your space. And sure enough, he was, he was into it and he gave me my first show, which was amazing. I mean, first Thursdays there, like there was a line out the door really shows at, at his space. Wow. Um, and, and that was kind of like, that was really the beginning. And at the same time, like I would show at a coffee shop, I would show in a sushi bar. Like mm-hmm. it didn't matter. I just wanted people to see my work. Yeah. And, and I think it was a little bit easier, probably in Portland than if I was living in New York city where it's a much tougher sell. Yeah. And, but I ended up moving back in 2005 to New York city to pursue exactly what I wanted to do, which was to make art. And, and that was really the right move. And now it's years later and like, all I do is make art. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's the dream right there. And the funny thing is like, I remember when, when we had our discussion and we, it was a, it was a really good back and forth, and the main thing that I remember because this was about this was around spring, close to summer, of 2010. When I asked you, my my final question was, "Do you believe the American dream is dead?" And you said yes. And yeah. like, I mean, granted, it was just like, so when first first of all, do you still believe that after after all these years? In, in some respect, I do believe that. Mm-hmm. I think that like this late stage capitalism is not good for our country. Yeah. But with that being said, like I still pursue the American dream, mm-hmm. right? Like all my work is really based. It's so rooted in that golden era of America. Yeah. You know? But at the same time, like, we, but at the same time, we don't want it. Like it's since it's, 
since the work is centered on like so many, so much, so many older things, is that basically just saying that the American dream was over there and it's not here yet? Like it's, we still have to, we still have to catch up to it or something, or is it the American dream itself? That's kind of looking back at us and saying like, we're waiting. I kind of think that the, in the fifties and sixties, like there was a strong middle class. Yeah. It was possible for someone to move here from a foreign country with $20 in their pocket and, and make a business and make a life for themselves. And I Mm -hmm. think that that's so much harder these days. Yeah. And so I think that, that part of the American dream is dead, but I still think there are iconic things happening in America, Mm -hmm. but it's hard to see them as they're happening. Right. Things have to, things have to have time to sort of like settle in and become become iconic it doesn't just happen overnight yeah and that's the one thing that uh the american people seems to be lacking for this time is patience <laughs> so yes. yeah well that goes back to technology right i mean yeah you think about when when i used to travel in the late 90s like i would bring film with me mm-hmm. my cameras all had film and then little by little like that was gone and now we're so used to being instantly gratified whether it's going to an app, whether it's, I want to order food and I can do it right from my phone in an hour. So yeah, like we don't have patience because we almost don't need to. Yeah. Yeah. Like I remember when I, when I would go and see my, my father or my mother spend like a few days or anything, I would have a little CD book full of different movies that I wanted to bring. Now I can just access every single thing in my library on my phone. And And then I get, and I get pissed off when like something happens with the internet connection, like just right. like today. So, yeah. yeah. Well, that's so, where yeah. it is. Like we're, I think, so where we live, we look, kind of live in the woods in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. And so there's so many trees that oftentimes when there's a storm, telephone, the electric lines will get knocked out. Yeah. And it's only once you don't have all of those creature comforts that you realize, wait a minute, like electricity is not something that's guaranteed. Yeah. The internet is not something that's guaranteed. We have it almost all the time, but mm-hmm. when it goes out, it's really frustrating. Yeah. It's like Facebook when Facebook and Instagram went down a few weeks ago, yeah. that one day, like it's, it's, it reminded me, it reminded me so much of the episode of uh, the Simpsons, itchy and scratchy versus Marge with when she was, when she basically got into the right, into the writer's heads and had yeah. them tweak the show. So that way yep. there's no violence. And that got everyone, everyone, turning off the TV and going outside and like building tree houses and discovering yeah. all these different things. But then as soon yeah. as the violence went back, back in, they went right back to, to the TV. So yeah, that's exactly, exactly what it was. It's yeah. amazing how the Simpsons does that. So Yeah. Oh, I mean, it's like the most cutting social commentary, right? Yeah. They're, they're always on point. Yeah. And I think that I've tried, like I, I actually got off Facebook. I'm off Twitter. Instagram, I think is important for, for what I need. Yeah. But I'm really trying to step back and be grounded because I feel like oh, yeah. we get lost and, and, you know, there's so much, there's so much division right now mm-hmm. on all these sites that it's, it's hard because everyone gets caught up in it. And yeah, it's, so Twitter's like become, it's, yeah, Twitter's become just like a cesspool. So it's yeah. just a cesspool of anger. Like even, yeah. even if it's not just like, even if, even if it's not full on hate and division, everything, there's just like this anger like it just kind of yeah. sits there in the pit of you and yeah. and whenever i go on there i'm just like why am i still on <laughs> I just feel like right it it, it yeah. gives me just enough of a um gives me just enough visibility for what i do with the with right. the show and the audiobooks and the writing and right. everything like that it gives me just enough so that way i can 
I should stay on. But then, you know, there are times when I feel like I, I really do need to just kind of take a few steps back. Yeah. And it's hard to curate it, right? Like we used to be able to curate our feed and we no longer can do that. So it's basically, we get dumped on things because of the algorithms and Mm -hmm. it's like, I don't want any of this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, and look, I like, I love being in my studio, right? Like I love making things. I love having my hands dirty. Yeah. And that was one of the big reasons that I left graphic design because I felt like so much of it was just on the computer all day. And it was, mm-hmm. you have a big, a big font library and clip art and these things and you put it all together and that's fine and creative, but I wanted to, I wanted to do what I went to school for, you yeah. know, and use my hands. And, and that was really like one of the things that made me step away from graphic design. Mm-hmm. Understandable. Yeah, absolutely. Now with when you were, when you were starting up, you had, you had your first gallery over in Portland, you had Mm -hmm. the, you were also showing, showing your art and all these other smaller places, but then you made that move to New York city and considering how competitive that all of New York city is with everything. What was, what did it feel like? And what was the experience like getting your first real taste of success there? So I did have a show in Chelsea, Mm-hmm. probably 2006 after I moved back, mm-hmm. I had been talking to a gallery, which turned out to be really a bad, the bad experience. Mm-hmm. But the good part of it was that I actually got a show in Chelsea. So that was kind of, that was another step in getting to where I wanted to be. Yeah. Um, when I first moved back, I was still working graphic design jobs, art director jobs, things like that, because I wasn't at the point where I could do it full time. Yeah. And so I was staying up late at night, making art, going to work in the day. Mm-hmm. And um, I think after that failed, after the thing in Chelsea happened and I just walked away from that gallery, there was another gallery up in Boston who contacted me and asked if I'm working with them anymore. And I said, no, I'm not. And he said, good, but I would like to work with you. And oh. so that was really, that was another really nice step. And that, that the gallery was called Kidder Smith and it was right on Newberry street, beautiful location. Tom oh, wow. Smith was an awesome dude. Yeah. He just like, he loved art. He, he just had everything going for him. And, and so that was kind of another step to having my work in another city. The show did well. He did well with my work. He mm-hmm. just ended up closing in 2008 because of the, the housing market and all. Of oh that. yeah. Yeah. So that was kind of, that was really sad. All, all my friends, the people who were also artists at the gallery mm-hmm. were really just bummed when that happened because he was such a, a good guy. Yeah. Yeah. It's a shame. That's that yeah. is that is a real shame. Yeah, 2008 really destroyed so much. It's yeah. it's it's such a shame. Just imagine like what things what things could have been like if if it was able to keep going. But then at the same time, like the way things were going, it felt like it mm-hmm. was going to collapse at some point anyway. So it's like yeah, yeah. So it's it's definitely de- I definitely get you know like what you mean when you say like the American dream is dead when you have everyone just basically doing everything they can to build themselves up on the backs of so many other people. So, and that's not, and that's not what, what, that's not what, what this whole, it's like, it's like one of my favorite, you know, memes, just like, that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. So, so you had, so, wow. So you were, so you got yourself set up in in New York city and after a year you had the Chelsea one. And then a little bit later you had the Boston one. What, what, what did you see as like your ultimate end game or is there an ultimate end game or is it just a matter of just keep going? Well, I think the big change was when there are galleries that exist and they give an artist a show and then another month they do another artist and, and they sort of, they don't actually represent the artist. They just give them shows. 
But yeah. the big changing point was having galleries that represented me full time. So you'd have a show once a year, once every two years, but then in the interim, you'd always have work hanging in the gallery. So people could come back and, and still buy yeah. in between your shows. And that was really the big turning point for me. Once I had about four galleries that were all representing me, mm-hmm. it was so much easier. And, and actually I had to step away from a day job because my responsibilities to painting mm-hmm. were becoming that much more. And at the time I was working for New York skateboards and I was their creative director. Oh, wow. And when I took the job, I felt like this is gonna be amazing, right? Like I, yeah. I love New York. I, I, I remember speaking to Rodney Smith back in the nineties when he was starting the company mm-hmm. and, and it just made perfect sense. Yeah. And then what happened is it really became more of a, I, I became more of someone who just emailed factories in, in Asia all the time. Mm. And it wasn't really creative. And I was kind of like, do I want to do this? I mean, it's not creative. Yeah. It pays well, but I, I can be doing something else, which I truly love. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up stepping away from that job. And that was the last day job that I worked. And that was 2011, I think. Oh, wow. It was 2011 when I left that job. So I've been making a living for 10 years, making That's art fabulous. and I'm super happy. I mean, we, we moved up here eight years ago and the kids are both in school and mm-hmm. it's, it's a dream life. I love the woods. I love nature. And so it's kind of all worked out. It's like you have inspiration all around you in, in a sense. Yeah. And it's not the, it's not the, it's not exactly the right kind of inspiration because it should be more, it should be more gritty and it should be more city yeah. that I'm yeah. looking at. But this, this truly like fulfills a part of me that, that I don't get there. There's a calmness. With the calmness it. and an yeah. openness to the space. And I think that allows me to sort of breathe and come into the studio and not be distracted by anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I mean, when it's, it's easy in the city to be distracted, right? Because I can go, Oh, for oh, lunch, yeah. I'm going to go down to Chelsea. I'm going to go to galleries. I'm going to go here to a museum. Mm-hmm. And here it's like, you can go get lunch, but there's not really anything else. Yeah. And so it's, it's so much easier for me to focus on what I'm doing and really like up my craft. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it's funny, you should say that in 2011, that was when you were able to step away from, from full-time, from day jobs and just commit to full-time because when, when we had our talk in 2010, so you were still working with Zoo York, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And, and, and here we are now. So like, it's, it's, it's wild seeing this, seeing all of this. So, so, with your style, with your Americana, you know, based style, what was it like when you got that first international gallery? So the first gallery that I got internationally was in London mm-hmm. and it was, I had talked to a guy at one of the art fairs in New York mm-hmm. and he didn't have anything that was exactly like my work, but he had things that were similar, mm-hmm. similar in the sense of like how you'd hang them. Yeah. And so I started talking to him and I had a little, a little booklet and I gave it to him and we ended up talking and he ended up giving me a show and I didn't get to go there, Mm -hmm. which was kind of a bummer. But later on I was traveling with, I guess, who would I, I think I was working for Adidas at the time. Mm -hmm. Maybe whoever I was working with, they sent me to travel internationally yeah. I went to London. And so I went and like went to his gallery. We went to a, and had some beer and like, it was just cool to meet with him. But, but again, it's like, I don't often know who, who is buying my work. 
Yeah. You know, sometimes I'll see it on Instagram or Facebook or these, these places, but I don't really know the people. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like it just goes off into the world and then it's, it's someone buys it. Yeah. That's so, so how, so how many different international galleries have you had so far? You had the London one, you have the Australian one now, but uh, yeah. were there any other ones? I have a gallery in Cologne. Mm-hmm. In Germany, where else did I have galleries? I'm trying to think. Might be it internationally. Yeah. No. And it also seems like a lot of it is the different places where you have set up. Definitely London. London's got its own city kind of feel. Were, was there anything that was that inspired you to create something that was London based, or was it something that was purely just all the Americana? That it was all the Americana. I mean, I, I love absorbing foreign countries and and foreign cultures and things. And I think that it probably plays into my work in ways that I don't even see it. Yeah. Um, and, and there are things that are international, right? I mean, Bridget Bardot is not American, but people right. love her. Um, oh, yeah. Sophia Loren. So there's, there's people out there who work into what I'm doing mm-hmm. that are not necessarily American icons, but are beloved by Americans yeah. and are part of that history. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Chanel bottle, right? So so there there are things that that people just love, but but the overarching theme, I think, is American history in the 50s and 60s. Yeah, which, I mean, it it makes perfect sense that that there were so many different things to focus on that were from, from other countries, because like part of Americana is basically just like absorbing that and then making it its own. So right. that's basically what you're able to do here. You're able to show like everything that there's still those symbols from all the other countries, but at yeah. the same time, they're through the eyes of Americana in general. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I, I, I love that. And so, yeah, I think that's, that's really, really cool. So what, what do you see is like the, with everything that you've done so far, what is you say like the next thing in your bucket? I, I am working with a gallery in Tarrytown and mm-hmm. he's also very involved and we have a lot of conversations and we sort of push things in a little different direction. So nice. we're talking about power couples and it's not uh, old American history, but Jay-Z and Beyonce are some of the most iconic people out there. Mm-hmm. They're very yeah. pretty. Yep. They dress exquisitely. Like oh, they yeah. have everything going for them. So like, I think we're pushing in a little bit more of a modern direction. I would say today, I would say Lady Gaga is someone who in 20, 30 years, she's there. Yeah. Even Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie, although they're not together anymore, like they were a huge power couple and they were both doing great things. And I think that's what it is, right? Like when, when you look at some of the Kardashians, they don't necessarily have any substance to them. They're, right. they're purely like a PR machine Yeah, and they're great at it, but mm-hmm. I don't connect with them. I connect with the people who have other talents. You look at Brad Pitt through his history of movies and you're like, wow, he like, he could do anything. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I still and remember. Beautiful man. I still remember. It took a while for me to really kind of, really kind of latch onto him. My, my sister, you know, definitely did very quickly, but I remember just like, I remember watching him in seven and I was just like, oh okay, you're good. And then I watched yeah. the 12 monkeys. So I was like, oh, you're great. Oh, you're great. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, exactly, and, then, you know? and then, and then later on fight club comes out and just like, oh, you're awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he can do everything, right? He can, he, do, he can do comedy, right? He was in, what is it called? 12 monkeys. It's another number. Uh, Ocean's 11. Ocean's 11. Yep. And he's oh, hilarious, yeah. right? He's yeah. always eating in that. Like he's mm-hmm. just, he's just kind of such a well-rounded actor. He's, he's like the Robert Redford of today. You know, I can say that. I can see that. Yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Especially considering a lot of the other kind of show, you know, kind of movies that that he'll do, like he'll do Babel out of like out of nowhere, yeah. and yeah, just like a lot of other ones like that. So I can I can see that. I can definitely yeah. see that as as him. So so with with everything that you have going on here, like say that there's someone who wants to kind of step in and kind of follow your direction, someone who's inspired enough by your work. That they wanna that they wanna go in in that direction of art, whether it's to do your like something like a spin-off of your style or something of their own, whatever the whatever the case, what would you say would be like the first thing that you'd recommend they do? I mean, for young artists, because I do have a I, I have a following of people who are younger who emulate my style. And obviously I don't want to give away all of my tips because some of the things are mine and that's what makes my work unique. Yeah. But I, I always tell people like in the beginning, like, yeah, copy, copy your artists, right? Copy your heroes, right? Mm-hmm. Find out how they make what they make. And then little by little, take away from that what you feel comfortable with doing yeah. and refine your processes. Mm-hmm. And, and then that's how you'll get to be where you'll be. But again, it's like, don't think you're going to make 10 paintings and be successful. You have to make a thousand paintings, like make wow. little paintings, experiment. And, and from there, like by the time that you get your whole process down, then make it on a big, big canvas. Yeah. It's you know, like, yeah, you already have it. Yeah. Cause you're not going to know what works until you start doing it. Right. You, you can't just, you can't just keep on letting something sit in your head over and over and over again until right. you have to actually get it out there. Whether it's, whether it's a book, whether it's a painting, whether it's sculpture, whatever it's got, yeah. it has to be tangible. It has to be something that someone can can look at and, and right. actually experience. Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm with you. And right it has there. to be true. That's the thing, right? Like I think what happens is that I was born in 1969. So the fifties and sixties, mm-hmm. I was lost the seventies and eighties. I could tell you about. And so it took a lot of research and a lot of life magazines and a lot of just looking and reading and figuring out what was going on then. And like, why Audrey Hepburn, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, she's beautiful, but also there's other things to her. There's many sides to it. Yeah. And uh, I had a point and I can't think of what it is. <laughs> that happens often. Um, but yeah, I think, I think just telling, telling people the way, to, the way to be an artist is to find something you truly love mm-hmm. and be honest about it. Oh, that's what I was going to say. So, so when I talk to people who are in their 60s and they're like, you nailed that era. You nailed it perfectly. Yeah. I know, okay, I've done my research. To, to be able to tell the story when I wasn't alive. Yeah. And so I think that there's some of it is the things that I love and some of it is doing the research and putting mm-hmm. it together to make a coherent story that people can look at and understand. Yeah, absolutely. And so, so basically just as long as, as long as someone is creating something that is true to themselves, they pursue it, they persist with it and really give all they can to it. Then it's very likely that they're, that, their own American dream can live again. Would you say? Right. Yeah. Excellent. That's that's and going a, that's back a- to the American dream. Like I feel like I I did make the American dream, right? Because like my job is my job is important, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's not on the basic survival list, right? That's food. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. shelter. So so when people are buying my art, especially over the past eighteen months, like people have bought a lot of art. And mm-hmm. so that to me is huge. Like, no, people really want to live with my work, yeah. right? And, and in a time when like the world is seemingly falling apart, yeah. you want things that are comfortable. 
And so people were going back and they were redoing their homes, buying new furniture, buying art, buying things to make their home exactly what they wanted it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they're, and they're constantly looking to art really to get them some sort of, some sort of a comfort, whether it's, whether it's putting something, putting a piece of art on their wall or Mm -hmm. watching a movie, something like something to kind of take their mind off of, off of everything and just let them, let them be comfortable in the space that they're in. Yeah. And let them, and let them like art and film and, and writing. These are all things that allow our brain to escape. Yeah. You but know, at the same, so, but at the same time, like what's what's beautiful about like when when there's great art, when there's great like a great film, it grabs your attention and it makes you want to delve deeper into it. Yeah, and then it's and then it's not just escapism. Now it's just like right. it's it's exploration. You're explore you're exploring some another kind of canvas. Right, and which is which is something that a lot of people are. A lot of people are really looking for these days, especially even though like there's we're still waiting for that time when we can kind of get back to what it was before. It's not going to get that way. Like too many, like it's it's but if we can at least learn from everything and just see like what it is that we can what it is that we can that we can take from this period. Yeah. And and you and hold on to it for the future, then we could have something here. We, you know, after all, yeah, I think, yeah, I think a lot of people I know for myself, I was very worried in the beginning for many reasons. Right. But one was, is my art going to sell? Like, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. I saw many people not having jobs, right. People who work in service industries, like they didn't have work. Yeah. And so that was a big concern, but I came right into the studio and started to translate like how I was painting mm-hmm. from my brain. Right. So it became the way that I was painting became messier and more layered, almost Mm -hmm. like my brain has so many layers to it. And I'm just trying to unravel it. Right. And then but then I went back to what I was doing and used that more painterly style with what I was doing before. And I think people really kind of people responded well to it. Yeah, absolutely. And And I know a lot of my creative friends all went in an abstract way. Mm -hmm. So like I started making abstract work and I'm still kind of doing it. It's not taking over what my other stuff, but, but I think it was, it was a nice exploration. It helped with my other work. And then I saw like a bunch of my other friends doing the same thing. And I'm like, that's really funny that we're all sort of doing this. Like, I think we're all sort of trying to translate what's going on in our head onto canvas. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you right there. So, and where can, so I know that like you're on Instagram right now, is there any other form of social media or anything that my listeners can find you at? Just, it's just on Instagram Mm -hmm. and then just robertmars.com, my website. But Instagram is really, I I update that as often as I can. Mm -hmm. And that sort of gives a peek inside my studio and what's going on inside. So it's kind of like the behind the scenes, which I think people enjoy seeing. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. A lot, a lot of, a lot of people really, you know, really feel inspired when they see like how something is put together. It's not just like looking at the art, but just getting, getting a little bit of insight of how it all came about and everything. That's that's something that really, that really works for a lot of people. Yeah, and and I hope that all of you are, all of you who are artists themselves, all of you who have something to say, have something to express, to put out there, and everything. Just like what Robert said before, do not be discouraged by the by the world that we're in right now. Go ahead and and get it out. Get that get that feeling that you have that you just need to create something that you need to 
express something, do it and, and do it as much as you can and see what works for you, what style works for you. And then eventually what will connect with everyone else? Because once you have that, then, and you're being true to yourself, then your own American dream can live and thrive. So for Robert Mars, this is George Soroy saying to all of you, Ever Upward, and I will see you next week. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Excelsior Journeys. I hope it was both inspiring and entertaining. Special thanks to Zach Comtois for providing new music for the intro and outro. Please take a moment to leave a rate and review on Apple Podcasts. And if you enjoy the show, please share it with your friends and subscribe to your platform of choice by going to he'sgotit.com slash podcasts. While there, you can also fill out the application to be a guest, inquire about sponsorship opportunities, and click on the Buy Me a Coffee link if you wish to give your support to the show. All interaction is very much appreciated. If you have a question, comment, or suggestion for the show, please direct it to george at he'sgotit.com.